Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Your brand is a complex cocktail of a lot of things. It's what you do. It's what you don't do. It's how you show up or not show up. It's what you write, what you produce, how you engage. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney. Today, I'm chatting with Mark Schaefer, who is a globally recognized author, a keynote speaker, a futurist, a business consultant. He's one of the top five marketing bloggers in the world, and his blog is amazing. And he teaches graduate marketing classes at Rutgers University and has written nine, nine best-selling books. Mark's new book, Cumulative Advantage, How to Build Momentum for Your Ideas, Business, and Life Against All Odds is an essential new path and, and definitely a book you want to read to get seen and heard in a busy world. Mark, welcome to NICE. Hey, Dave, my my Tennessee neighbor. That's right. Just up the road in Nashville. Yeah. 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 Do you get up this way at all? Uh, I I, I need to get up that way. My my daughter has moved to Nashville. Oh, wow. And, uh, but she's been so busy. It it hasn't been easy to see her, but I, I, but I certainly will be making a couple trips around the holidays, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tis the season to, to do that for sure. Um, yeah, Nashville, it's been a while. I mean, I think we sat down and had a, a burger mm-hmm. while well, I was before the pandemic, of course. Yeah. So, so it was uh, several years ago, I think. At this yeah, point. it was always good to see you. Yeah, you too. You too. So I always like to start this little podcast with the question, what's the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh my gosh, there have been so many uh, amazing things. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, something that, that <laughs> meant a lot to me. Um, so I was, um, I had a little minor, uh, surgery and, uh, a friend of mine who lives in, uh, Johnson city, Tennessee, oh, you know, it's close to a two hour drive from here. Mm. She made homemade cookies, drove down here with her family to deliver cookies to me. (laughs) No way. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. And, you know, that, that that was really really special and and um, yeah so that th- those are sort of the the bold kind of not just um, you know networking kind of things but mm. friendship kind of things that make a big difference in in the world these days. Absolutely. So I guess cookies and then Benton's bacon. Uh, Benton's if I, if bacon. I understand correctly, you, you keying in on the on the big things here. Yeah. Yes. Benton. There's a there's a uh, case study about Benton's bacon in in the cumulative advantage book as as an example of a small business that that has built a tremendous amount of momentum. Um, against all odds. I mean, the book, the subtitle, as you mentioned, has against all odds in there. And I think that's important because, you know, business is so hard these days. It's so competitive. Mm -hmm. It's so noisy. How do we stand out? And it does feel like 
it's against all odds, which is one of the reasons why I like the Benton's Bacon stories, because there's this, it's a tiny little family business that's become world famous. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorite stories in the book. Yeah. And as I was reading, <clears throat> excuse me, as I was reading the book, uh, I, I think I tweeted something or I put it on Instagram about your mention of Benton's because being in Tennessee as well, I'm familiar yeah. with Benton's too. And right away I'm like, mm, bacon. so who's someone that was especially nice to you in your career well all of my bosses (laughs) in my corporate world because um you know as i look back dave it really fortifies me to be generous and patient and kind because so many people were patient and kind with me Mm. um I was just so green and so naive about a lot of things. And um, I, I had uh, some just some really, really great bosses. I spent my corporate career at a company called Alcoa. At the time, it was uh, Dow Jones Industrial, Fortune 100, a real blue chip company, mm-hmm. very well-run company. Um, hired great, great people, put a lot of training into people. But, um, you know, my... The, the thing that I will always remember about my career at Alcoa was I was almost always the youngest person in the room. Mm. So like they were pushing me and pushing me and giving me so many opportunities. So, um, you know, I I would just say in general, the, 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 the leadership I had early in my career meant a lot to me. And um, I appreciate the, the just the patience they had with this with this green kid coming out of the hills. <laughs> well, you you mentioned you know multiple bosses. What what was it like? Did they what did they do something specifically that or one of them specifically that that helped kind of guide you? You know, there was one guy as as I was early in my marketing career. The thing that he, 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 it really struck me is that he was a very principled person. And it's a, it's a role that's often overlooked in the, in the marketing function, the idea of sort of being the standard bearer of principles, values, and purpose for your organization. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time I had this idea where, you know, Alcoa is this big manufacturing process and you're making all this product, but you also make a lot of scrap. And so I came across this customer that actually could use the scrap. We could, instead of like remelting it and making it into something else, we could just sell this stuff. I thought I was being brilliant. <laughs> and my boss just stopped it right away. And he said, no, we're not going to sell our scrap. Our scrap is our scrap. It's something that's, you know, it's either off color or off spec, or we're, we're not going to send a message to this organization that we're in the business of making scrap. We're going to live and we're going to produce to the highest possible standards of quality. We're going to exceed expectations. We're going to be ethical in everything that we do. And I, you know, and in hindsight, I thought he's absolutely right. You know, he's absolutely right. And again, it was one of the examples where I was young and naive, and I thought I had this idea that was going to save the company a lot of money, but strategically and philosophically. That was the wrong thing to do. And one of the lessons I learned is the importance of being the standard bearer and and not uh, bending on stuff like that. And did he, how did he handle or how did you feel when he rejected that idea? Like, did he, was he tactful about it or how did he, you said he said no. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that nearly everyone I encountered in my experience there was was very professional. I learned how we need to attack problems, mm. not attack people. And I knew just from my past experiences with him that he was encouraging. He wanted to do everything he could to support me. And, um, you know, he was a very 
strong, effective, principled leader. And so, uh, yeah, so I just took it as a learning experience and it just, it, it made me admire him even more. That's cool. And that, really, that's a matter, you know, and you wrote it in the book, actually, about consistency. You said consistency mm-hmm. is more important than genius, which mm-hmm. is a line I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And like undergrad. Under- and it's absolutely true. Yeah. You know, it because buying behavior or consuming behavior in the terms of con- in, in the terms of content, you know, it's a habit. And one of the nicest compliments I ever received, Dave, was uh, some time ago a woman wrote me and she said, Mark, I start my day with you. Hmm. I open up my email to see if I received, you know, get a cup of coffee and I open up my email to see what you've written to me today in terms of my blog. And that meant so much to me because I've become part of the fabric of her life. Hmm. And you can only do that by showing up in a consistent way. And that's what what I would say most people who are trying to uh, connect through content and social media, they really don't understand the power of that. Maybe they publish when they want to, when they feel like it, when they think they have the time. I went through a streak where I posted at least one blog post a week for 650 straight weeks. Mm. Didn't miss. Right now, I've had a podcast for nine years. Never missed a publishing date. Never missed an episode. And some people might think, oh, gosh, you know, give yourself a break, Mark. What would it matter if you miss a week or miss a month? But it's a slippery slope. Because to, to build that habit, I mean, I've earned this right, this place in her life, in my audience's life, and I'm not going to give that up. It's easy to give it up because you're feeling tired or you're feeling sick. Everybody feels tired. Everybody feels sick. You know what? Everybody has problems in your in, in their life. Hmm. So you gotta prepare for that. You gotta blog ahead, you gotta write ahead, you gotta record ahead, you gotta do whatever you need to do to be there, be there, be there. Oh, it's Monday. I'm getting a blog post for Mark. And that's how you become a habit. That's how you become part of the fabric of people's lives. And by doing that and being consistent, do you find that business grows uh, from that? consistency like do you actually have you seen a direct correlation between that well that's a good question because i think the word that 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 trips me up always is direct because you know direct correlation because attribution is very difficult the way it works for me dave is a good example uh a few years ago um Somebody started reading my blog. I didn't know they were reading my blog. They didn't comment. They didn't tweet. They never wrote me any messages. And then because of the uh, the connection they had to me, maybe an intellectual connection, maybe even an emotional connection through my blog, it convinced them they wanted to buy one of my books. So finally, this person had been reading my blog for three years, and I heard from them for the first time. And this gentleman wrote me a note. He said, Mark, I just wanted to let you know this book you wrote, this is one of the best business books I've read in the last 10 years. Mm. That's the first time I heard of him. Now, two years after that, he hired me to do a content marketing workshop for his company, which happened to be, he was the CMO of GE Life Sciences. Mm. Wow. All right? Now, If you've been keeping score here, that was five years between the time he started to read my blog and the time he hired me. So what is directly attributable to the blog versus something else? I don't know. You know, I really don't know. It's it's all part of 
the chemistry. It's all, you know, the, 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 your brand is a complex cocktail of a lot of things. It's what you do, it's what you don't do. It's how you show up or not show up. It's what you write, what you produce, how you engage. But I will say that it does take a lot of work to be consistent and to and and I also want to emphasize that you know I don't put out crap I mean whenever I right. create a blog post or a podcast episode there's one thing in my mind I will never let you down this is going to be worth your time it's going to be relevant and inter- interesting and timely and maybe it'll even be entertaining but you're going to like it and Sometimes I think, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? It takes so much effort. But then I reflect and I think, Dave, that every business benefit somehow started on that blog. Mm -hmm. I might not be able to directly attribute it to something I wrote, something I said, but that is certainly an important part of this cocktail that I'm putting out into the world. As far as the cocktail goes today, uh, what Mm -hmm. what year did you start the blog? 2009. Okay. So, you know, peak, peak blogging era there. So we're in 2021 now, Mm -hmm, almost mm -hmm. 2022. Would you Mm -hmm. start with a blog if you were starting from scratch again today? Yes, I would. And, and the reason is, is because I love it. And I think that's important. Um, And first of all, if you look at where a lot of the content innovation is going on today, it's in blogging. Right. So Ev Williams, uh, one of the founders of Twitter, started Medium. Yeah. After Medium came, came Substack, mm-hmm. which has become red hot. Uh, Twitter has started a blogging platform. LinkedIn has a blogging platform, and this is all within the last couple of years. And I think an important consideration around content is. Sure, you need to look at the competition. You need to look at where's my place in this information ecosystem. But I think the most important consideration is what is going to bring me joy? Because if it becomes a burden, it's going to show up. And one of the, my podcast is only every other week. Most podcasts are every week. But I only do mine every other week because I'm a really busy person. Mm. And, and and if I did it every week, it would become a chore. And I wouldn't look forward to it. But when it's every week, it's like, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to the world about what's going on. I can't wait to you know talk to a co-host about some big, you know, deep thought on, on marketing. It, and, and I know that passion and excitement comes through. I don't think I could pull it off, you know, every week. And so um, the most important consideration is do what you love. Do what brings you joy. I am a writer. I love to write. I love the challenge of writing. You know, I'm more of a cerebral person. Uh, Someone said, what makes you successful on TikTok is you're goofy and random, which is why I'm never going to be successful on TikTok because never no one ever said that. Mark Schaefer is one goofy and random guy. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm a blogger, right? I want to think. I want to let it sit for a while. I want to come back to it, change it, edit it, rewrite it. And then, okay, it's ready for the world. That's my personality. I love that challenge. And I, you know, I think that real passion for communicating that way uh, shows up in the blog. And do you still, like how, how many hours a week do you dedicate to your blog? It varies greatly. Um, you know, j- just today, before we started this this episode together, uh, I was blogging. And, and the reason is I have a good friend, um, who is a consultant to the uh, vacation and hospitality industry. Mm. And he said on his podcast, he mentioned me on his podcast, and then he said something about an article that Rand Fishkin of Spark Toro, formerly of Moz, wrote, and it got him thinking about this. So I looked up the article, and it just like sparked this inspiration for a blog post. Mm. So I sat down 
and wrote it in, you know, 20 minutes because hmm. it was just flowing. I was on fire. And, um, you know, I'll go back and look at it again and rewrite it and make sure, you know, everything is is good and it kind of sings to the reader. But, um, you know, so boom, 20 minutes. Others, I might spend a little hour here, a little hour there. You know, I'm working on a, on a blog post right now about how in the world would you fix Facebook? That is a super complicated and even an emotional issue to a lot of people. Mm. And so I've got to be really careful with that. It's going to take, it's going to take research. It's going to take thinking. It might even take bouncing ideas off of people. Yeah. You know, I've been working on that off and on for a couple weeks now. Um, so it, 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 it really, it really varies. I, I would say on average, I would say I probably spend three to four hours a week blogging. And how do you collect your thoughts? You know, your ideas, um, you know, if you're, you're driving and you have an idea about the Facebook posts, let's say, um, yeah. I think I have my own ideas with, uh, saving Facebook or maybe not saving Facebook, but certainly <laughs> improving things, uh, yeah, where where do you have like some sort of service or something you use to kind of track these ideas to return to? Well, um, well, the the key is to write it down right away. Yeah. So today, um, you know, if you ask me something that like sparks some idea, I've got a piece piece of paper and a pen sitting right here beside me. Mm. Um, in another situation. If I get a question from a colleague or a student or something, I might literally go into WordPress and write out a headline, just the headline, just to capture it so it doesn't go away. Mm. If I'm in the car, I will leave myself a voice message. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just, you know, I'll leave myself a text, a text message to say, remember to do this, blah, 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 or remember this idea, this would make a good podcast episode, or whatever. And and that is really important because we're bombarded with ideas every day, but you've got to write it down. If it's time to create your content and you're facing a blank screen or you've got to talk into a you know camera without you know, a bunch of ideas in front of you, that is really hard. Mm. But if you collect all that, uh, you know, ideas all week, and now it's my time to create content, it's fun because you just pick the one that's the most fun for you in that moment and you go for it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And in, in your new book, you, you talk about, uh, you said, you said that the, uh, that it states that once once a person gains a small advantage over others in their mm-hmm. field, yeah. that advantage will compound over time into incredibly larger advantages. Yeah, um, and you used uh, Tim Ferriss, who I expect most listeners will be familiar with. If not, you can always Google Tim Ferriss uh, as a core example of this in your book. Tell tell me mm. a little bit about about that journey and what inspired you to use uh, Tim as an example. Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun story actually. So the idea behind cumulative advantage, it's it's about how do you create momentum for your life, your business, your ideas. And that's important right now because I think a lot of people are feeling buried. You know, they're doing their best work, they're doing excellent work and they're still not rising above the noise. Uh, they're still not being found, they're still not being heard. And so that led me to this research on momentum. And it turns out that there's actually a lot of work that's been done in the field of sociology about how momentum occurs, but it's never really been applied to real lives and real businesses. In fact, the only reference I was able to, to see, sort of a pop culture reference, to the research uh, of cumulative advantage was in a Malcolm Gladwell book. There was like one paragraph in a Malcolm Gladwell book. I believe it was The Tipping Point Mm. that kind of acknowledged this research. But this has been going on since the 1960s. There's been research in almost every professional field and no one has like brought this to normal people like me and you. So that's what this is all about. 
And the key idea is that if, if you have some initial advantage, it could be money, could be resources, could be inspiration, insight, ideas, it could be your heritage, it could be your connections, it could be almost anything that if you play your cards right, follow this pattern that I talk about in the book, you can create uh, momentum. So then I had to figure out, all right, well, who are good examples of this? So I'm trying to find people who had like no apparent advantage. I, I used an extreme example in the book on the other side, and that's the Winklevoss twins, the guys, the guys from the social networking movie mm-hmm. who like stole, you know, Mark Zuckerberg stole their idea for Facebook and they sued Zuckerberg and blah, 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 blah. And right. I mean, these guys, you know, they went to a private school and they grew up in the Hamptons and they had millions of dollars and they joined a secret society at Harvard filled with all these famous people. And then it's just like one thing after another. And you, it was like, oh my gosh, if they're not millionaires by the time they're 40, they've really screwed up because they've had everything handed to them. Now, who could I find out there that really had nothing handed to them? You know, I'm, I'm, So the book is filled with case studies of sort of unexpected successes, people that kind of came out of nowhere. They, 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 they didn't really have... Uh, a certain set of profound privileges, let's say, that would uh, carry them um, into success far beyond their own uh, the sweat of their brow and their and their hard work. So, came across Tim Ferriss, right? Tim Ferriss, he's everything he touches turns to gold. He's had huge best-selling books. He has, he's an investor, he's an advisor, he's a consultant. Now he has a top podcast. He took episodes from his podcast, turned that into another book. It just like never ends. So I thought, I wonder how that guy got started. And the more I dug into it, I just couldn't figure out how he did it. Before he published his his first book, which became a massive, massive success, The 4-Hour Workweek, right. he had like, he had like you know, taken his business into the ground, he was burned out, he lost his girlfriend, he, and by the way, I'm not saying anything that he hasn't published widely. Yes. Uh, he was, he had financial problems, he had health problems, he had a nervous breakdown, he was suicidal, and a few months later, he had a best-selling, you know, a New York Times best-selling book. <laughs> yeah, and now he knows LeBron James and Hugh Jackman and Oprah. Mm. It seems impossible, right? It just seems impossible. Clearly, something crazy happened. Now, the great thing about Tim is he talks about all this stuff. So it's so it, it, it's as I started to, to to learn how he did it to listen to his talks and read his blog posts and his books and everything that you know, where he documents this journey, it it fit exactly with the sociological research. I couldn't have written a better script. It's just like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. He he, he almost used some of the same words that's in the sociological research. Hmm. So I thought, wow, this is perfect. And, and, and so I took a big risk, actually. Uh, I inserted myself as a character into the book. This is one of the biggest personal risks I've ever taken as, a, as just as a, as a human being and a business person and a writer. It's like, well, who wants to hear me? But what I did is I compared me writing my first book and Tim Ferriss writing his first book and say, okay, at the beginning of this race, who would you bet on? It would probably be me. Mm. But Tim Ferriss knows Oprah. 
and I don't. <laughs> Let's find out why. Yeah. Because if you can figure out why, then you can apply these lessons to your own life. And have you heard from Tim since publishing the book? Never have. Never have. I reached out to him. Several other people reached out to him. Uh, but no, never heard, never heard from him. But I, but I think he'd be proud of the book. I mean, I really do because, you know, I'm very careful. I'm, I, I take a very careful, uh, responsible, journalistic approach when I write. Um, so everything I wrote about Tim is a direct quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. you know. So uh, and 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 he's very very open. I I, I think he would be. Uh, sort of tickled at how I wove his story into the book. I often wonder if that, like his success, obviously not verbatim, but if his success could be replicated now as, you know, life online has gotten so much louder and there's so much competition and, and and we're kind of slaves to algorithms now uh, much more than just our, our organic networks. Do you think, do you think, that would be, I mean, I, I suppose you outline it in the book, but what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, it, it, first of all, it, it, it is harder um, because the world is so much noisier. Mm. But I think the key really is to not be a slave to algorithms. Mm. I think the key is to be relentlessly relevant. And that's one of, I, I didn't use those specific words in the book, and I wish I had. You know, it's one of the things I would change about the book, mm-hmm. even though it, you know, the book isn't even a year old, right? I mean, I now I'm seeing ways I could have made it better. But one of the, the probably the biggest idea in this book is a new perspective of strategy for your business or even yourself. And what I talk about is a strategy used to be years and years of research and a 250-page document and a five-year plan. Mm. Those days are over. Today, it's really about how can I be relevant? How is my product relevant? How is my business relevant in this moment? Not five years from now, not two years from now, but now. How am I relevant in a pandemic, I mean, I think everybody's trying to reinvent their way, their, their, reinvent themselves that way, right? I'm sure, you know, Coca-Cola's thinking, how are we relevant right now? I talked to a friend of mine. He's a brand manager at uh, Adidas, or for your European listeners, Adidas. <laughs> and, he, and he said, the pandemic has reinvented sport. If the pandemic has reinvented sport, then that means like Adidas has to go through some reinvention as well. So, and that really means not being a slave to algorithms. It's it's about what are those initial advantages I have? Hmm. Is it my perspective? Is it my tone? Do I have a like a spiky point of view that you know I, that the the things I say are are they're 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 debatable you know if i'm just creating content that you can find on google if i'm creating content that says here are you know five tips tips to do better on twitter that's something that anybody could write you can find that on google so you know to 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 stand out and to be relevant is to say okay what's my perspective right now what's relevant about what i have to say right now, because that's what people want to hear. That's what people want to view. And and that's what's going to stand out. I think that's what, what brand strategy is about today. What business strategy is about today is reinvention and being uh, relevant in the moment. I saw an article from Pepsi a few years ago. The CMO of Pepsi said, the idea of the brand is over we used to create uh, these big campaigns and it's about now being relevant in the moment. And if you watch what Pepsi's doing, you can see it. Like uh, the the host of the Video Music Awards was uh, Doja Cat. Uh, 
And so they sponsored Doja Cat. And they had do- and they had advertising on the program with Doja Cat, mm-hmm. so they're like hitting on these cultural moments, and 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 they're trying to reinvent the brand to be relevant at this time with what's going on in the world right now. And I think there's lessons in that for all of us. Did you go through a process yourself when you uh, when you left corporate life? Mm-hmm. and switched over to your own business. Um, did you go through a process of thinking through your own advantages this way or, or something like that to convince yourself? Because, I mean, there's risk for everybody who goes out on their own. I've, I've mm-hmm. been out on my own for about a decade now, and I'm mm-hmm. always still learning, of course. Sure. But, but when you when you made the, the jump, did you create a list of advantages or, or where was your head at with that that move? Well, I wish I would have had the cumulative advantage book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, because uh, like most people starting out on a business who have never done this before, you, you wing it, right? You, you wing it and you hope you got it. And um, I, the, the thing is that in my, even though I had a, a career in a big company, I essentially was a consultant. I was an internal consultant. I my last job there, I was the global director of digital marketing for Alcoa. And I had I had, you know, marketing and CRM and customer portals and all this stuff reporting to me. But Alcoa was like a holding company. There were 40 different business units and I had no mandate. Mm-hmm. Nobody had to get on the internet. And in those early days, those pioneering days, nobody knew what this stuff was. So I was a consultant. It was about corporate change. And I was good at it. I had you know, a, a, a lot of success. So those years really prepared me to be a good marketing consultant. Now, when I got into the real world, I, I it, it worked. I had a good business, but I wasn't really enjoying it at first. I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought. So I had to pivot and move it into a direction that I, uh, where I enjoyed it more. But, but I'm constantly, you know, now that I sort of see this path and, and what I predict for people who read this book, and I think it's, it's certainly... Uh, a lot of people have told me this is true, that when you read this book, you'll never see the world again. Because once you understand this, this pattern of momentum, when you meet a successful person or you learn about a successful business, you'll start saying, okay, that was the initial advantage. That was the seam. That's how they created the sonic boom. Okay, boom, 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 boom. Yep, that's how they do it. Hmm. There's those five steps in Mark's book again. And I wish I would have had that when I was starting out. It certainly would have saved me many, many years of, 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 of strife <laughs> and reinvention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 let's put it this way. You know, I kind of hit on the elements of the book, but I didn't really know I was doing it. It was, you know, experience and luck. Right, and you write about luck in the book too. You also said you wrote a lot, of, or you wrote a lot about uh, success, sort of uh, in the same way of being a collision of events, and that yeah. you need to put yourself in a place to have experience that will mm-hmm. give you that chance. So, what are some ways that we can do this nowadays in this sort of age of remote and hybrid work, and and you know this pandemic that keeps uh, popping back up in severity. I mean, we're both in Tennessee, which, uh, mm-hmm. well, let's not go into that. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but what are your thoughts with, with how can, how can we be around those right places, those right people to get those experiences and build those networks when, you know, so often we're kind of stuck at home? Well, it's been, it's been hard for me um, because I've, I've stopped traveling essentially mm-hmm. and creativity for me comes like you said often from serendipity it's like being in a new place seeing something new seeing something in a different context meeting somebody that has new ideas so 
Um, I teach at Rutgers New University up in the New York City area. Uh, they're the State University of New Jersey, and I've been teaching there for 12 years. But I would, when I go up there, I'd schedule an extra day or two, and I'd be in New York, and I'd see different clients and different executives in New York, and hear about what are they doing and what are they seeing, mm. and that was my fuel. That I mean, that was my fuel. Or you know, going to South by Southwest is, has always been a great inspiration for me. And I would, this is if you're not familiar with that, it's sort of like a, like a I would say a, a festival of thought leadership in Austin, Texas, every spring. Mm. And I would force myself to go hear people that were just out of my comfort zone, talking about something I'm not familiar with. And and I would come away from South by Southwest West charged with new ideas for a whole year. And I would, you know, my, my first book, uh, my first big book, Return on Influence, it was the first book on influence marketing, came directly from an interaction I had at South by Southwest. That was the whole genesis of, of that entire book, which was, the book was a huge success. Yeah. So now, here I am stuck at home. So we're all challenged to really introduce this serendipity into our lives in different ways. So one of the things I'm doing is I signed up for this free service. It's, it's almost like, uh, like a dating app for business professionals. Okay. It's, it's called Lunch Club. And you say, hey, I'm interested in marketing. I'm interested in technology. I'm interested in branding. And then they match you with a person that's interested in the same things as you. And then you just meet on Skype for an hour. They, you just meet a new person who you've never met before. Mm-hmm. And they have different perspectives and they have different ideas. And so that has been amazing. That's been a, 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 you know, a really uh, good way to do it. One of the other problems that we have is that we've built our lives around endless Zoom meetings. And, you know, it's just like, okay, it's two o'clock on my Zoom meeting. I just want to get off of this thing and get to the next one. So you don't have that chit chat. You're not talking, you know, big thoughts. So the other thing I'm trying to do is to really mindfully, systematically allocate time where I can talk to people or even, you know, here in my area, at least get out and talk to some other people and and see what's happening. Mm. Um, so it, it's much, much harder. I mean, in some respects, we could be walking into the death valley of creativity because we're not having the serendipity in, in so many ways in our lives. But, you know, I'm taking these small steps to, to try to keep the ideas coming. Yeah, and that's great. That's great. And actually, yeah, I wrote in New Business Networking in my book, I wrote uh, also about stories about meeting and networking at, at South by Southwest, which, yeah, definitely is is a, a festival of technology somewhere I'd love to to get back to uh, one of these days. But you're yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, people, you know, people say they're sort of quote unquote zoomed out. And, yeah. uh, and it is difficult. Uh, now, so, but I like the idea of lunch club and, and other sort of networking services that you can, you can connect. And of course, uh, a podcast is always a nice way to do that too. Yeah. So before I move on to the lightning round of questions, I have a few questions. Oh, I hate lightning rounds. My (laughs) mind does not work. I'm warning you right now. I am going to be your worst lightning round respondent in the history of your life. I will be. Because I, 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 I'm just, too, I just think too much. Well, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go easy on you. But go easy. I'll my go friend. easy. I'll go easy. But before I do that, I need to hear about the story of you getting lost on the Tokyo subway system that you teased <laughs> in the book. You teased it in the book. You said that's a story for another day. Today, Mark, is that other day? <laughs> well, uh, there was a period in my career where. Um, um, I, I did a lot of international travel and I, I would go to Japan. I went to China. I went, um, you know, all over the world. I even went to Russia. And, uh, so I was in Japan, I was in Tokyo and, um, 
they assigned a handler to me, right? Mm. Uh, because everything is so different there. And, um, uh, you know, the, the customs are different and the language is different. And they wanted to make sure that I didn't create some big, you know, dip- diplomatic uh, incident. <laughs> right. And so they, there was this young sales guy over in Japan, and he kind of like was went with me everywhere I went. So I think I was in Tokyo for maybe 10 days. And by the end of the trip, um, A, I was really tired of fish. And B, <laughs> I was feeling very confident that I could find my way around. And um, where I was staying in central Tokyo... You could almost always find someone that spoke English. I was staying at, I think it was called the Imperial Hotel, which is sort of an English-speaking hotel. Mm. And it just seemed, uh, you know, pretty... uh, Whoops, my microphone just, like, fell over. (laughs) Uh, I was feeling pretty good. So the last day I was there, I had to take a train to the Narita Airport. And, I mean, I have been on train systems everywhere in the world. Mm. I've, I've been to 70, I think 72 countries, something like that. Mm. And I've probably been on a train system in at least 50 of them. So the, the, the night before I was leaving, I told the, uh, the young guy, I said, I'll, I'll meet you in the morning. I'll take you to the train station, which is across the street from the hotel, by the way. <laughs> okay. And I'll make sure you get on the train. And this guy, he had like an hour and a half commute. I said, no, 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 no. I'll do it. I can do it. All I need to find is, you know, yes. Oh, yes, Schaefer-san. There's a direct train <laughs> from Tokyo Central to Narita. They leave every five minutes. You will, you know, da-da-da-da. Okay, great. So now... Here's what I didn't know. The Central Tokyo train station is the biggest, uh, busiest train station in the world. It's 13 levels. Oh, my gosh. One million people a day go through this train station, and nothing is in English. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so... First of all, I got lost in the train station. Then I got lost in the, on the train. And uh, it, it, you know, I thought I was going in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, I kind of realized I was in the wrong direction. In fact, I was like in the opposite direction. So I just got off the train and just sort of said, does anybody speak English? <laughs> Somebody help. And, uh, you know, and I, I was looking at this big map. Of the of the of the Tokyo subway system that basically resembles shattered glass. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many routes and none of it's in English. So finally, that so, so finally some very kind person, uh, you know, literally, you know, took me by the arm and made sure I got on the right train that was heading to Narita, and everything turned out to be okay. So there's a moral to that story. What is it? <laughs> it tell and, me, and Dave. It, and it gets back to your book, which which you talked about the value of uh, seeking mentors and 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 taking advice from people. And so you should have you should have taken that guy's. Uh, I, oh, I had no idea. Invitation to to get you to where oh, you were going. Oh yeah, I let I, I let my arrogance <laughs> get in the way of of reality. Did you make it to your flight? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. You you actually you left with enough time, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy. Well, thank thank God you you made it. Oh, it was you know, in a way it was terrifying because Yeah. you you're just helpless. Yeah. You're just completely helpless because uh, I mean, when you look at Japanese writing compared to, you know, Anglo-Saxon writing yeah. or whatever we call it, you can't even guess. Yeah, there's no guessing. You know, if you're in France or Spain or you know maybe Germany, you can guess. Mm-hmm. You know that what the, it might mean. Uh, but you, you can't even guess. My uh, my wife Heather and I lived in Prague uh, for a number of months, and uh, she was taking the subway. We were actually uh, teaching English there, and she was taking the subway to get 
uh, somewhere. And we had just started, we had just moved there and, uh, she didn't, she didn't quite understand how to buy the ticket. And for some reason she thought that she could buy it getting off the train or at the subway. Mm. Now she's not, she's from mm-hmm. a smaller city in Tennessee with no subways. I'm from Toronto. Mm. So I'm used to subways, mm. but at any rate, um, so she didn't pay. And, uh, this woman and man approach her and un- like, uh, plain clothes <laughs> and they, and they discreetly flash badges to her and kind of carry her off and take her into this room. Oh <laughs> and she's like, uh, uh, like, should I be with these people? Should I run? I don't really know what's going on. And they speak Czech. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, yeah. I would have ran and then I would have been shot and killed. <laughs> There's your incident, uh, international incident. Uh, yeah. yeah. That you'd mentioned. Yeah. I was that close. I was that uh, close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily she paid a fine and we were, she was good to go, but yeah, that could have ended poorly as well. All right. Lightning, lightning, uh, do lightning the lightning round. All right. Complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. Uh, first. <laughs> That's, good. That's good. What's a nice book you recommend to the nice makers listening? Uh, there's a book that I've been getting into called How to Heal Our Divides by Brian Elaine, which is a very uplifting book. Uh, how is Mark Schaefer nice to himself? Rarely. <laughs> uh, I've developed a, a, a bad habit of eating jelly bellies. <laughs> uh, I had COVID last year. Yes. And uh, long story short, the surge of antibodies in, with COVID triggered celiac disease. So I can't eat gluten. I can't eat wheat. So I can't have cookies, I can't have cake, I can't have pie, I can't have pizza, I can't have beer. And uh, but I can have jelly bellies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it's only it's only a hundred calories for like twenty-five jelly bellies. So uh, yeah, so I I that, that they give me a little energy during the day. Can you still eat bacon? I can dwell in bacon. Okay, there you go. There you go. If you had a billboard, what would it say? Be more human. And that is the nice podcast, Mark. How can people get a hold of you? Oh, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't, so- run. That wasn't so bad. Whew. Because I was like starting to sweat and panic. And <laughs> I told really you I'd easy. go easy on you. It's, it's really easy to find me. Uh, a lot of people can't remember how to spell Schaefer, which is why my website is Businesses grow.com. So if you can remember businesses grow, you can find my blog and my podcast and my books and my social media connections and we can stay connected. Awesome, Mark. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your insights. It was uh, nice having you here. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for listening to the nice podcast theme music provided by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. Hey, if you enjoyed the conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review. The links are in the description. I'll have more of that soon. Did you know that new subscribers of the Nice Maker email newsletter receive a free copy of my little ebook, Improve with Improv? Each Friday, I share nice stories, tools, tips, and much more. And you can grab it now from nicemaker.co or by clicking the link in the episode description. I'm Dave Delaney. Take care and be nice.